Well, it is good to be back. Um, my family does send their greetings. Um, in case you hadn't heard, my wife, when we were out on a mission trip to New Mexico, came down with a high-altitude sickness that uh, we found out uh, as we went along uh, could have been very um, life-threatening. And so she has been recovering for the last three weeks um, from this. And uh, so we're praying that she'll continue to, to heal. And, uh, but they, they wanted to come. We had a plan to come, and God had other plans. So if you think of her, uh, just continue to pray for Beth that she would continue to heal. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 4 this morning. Um, it's been four years, and uh, if your four years have been like my four years, it's been uh, quite the whirlwind. And uh, we're grateful for where God has taken us. Uh, I think the last time we came up, we, we came from uh, Dubois, Pennsylvania. And uh, this time I hail from Syracuse, New York. And uh, it's a little longer trip. But thankful for the safety coming over. And, and for those of you who have had me over this week, this weekend, it's only been a weekend? Wow. Okay. Uh, thank you. It's been a great fellowship, uh, great food, uh, and uh, it's just good to get to know many of you. And uh, um, so I'm very grateful for that. So if you're at Colossians this morning, I want to take a look at just a few verses there. You, you see them up on the screen. But by way of introduction, we've heard through the singing this morning that we're in a war. We're in a battle, a spiritual battle. And our marching orders are simple. Go and make disciples. Now, if you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it's one of my favorite verses when it comes to this concept of the Great Commission. Great Commission. It simply tells us to go and be witnesses. And I love that because I'm a simple-minded guy. You'll see that today as we look, at, look into this passage. I like the practical boots-on-the-ground concepts that I can learn. Um, I, I, I'm the guy, and maybe some of you can uh, agree with me, I'm the guy that have a hard t- has a hard time sitting down and listening to somebody give me a 15-minute explanation on why they need to do this or why. I just need to know what they want. Just give me the details. And, and that's, that's what I think Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is, is Jesus giving those last minute words to his disciples, the last command, go and be witnesses for me. And, and it's as simple as go and tell someone what God's done in your life and then invite them to experience the same thing. So we're all called to be this great commission, part of this battle that we're in, the spiritual battle. But today what I want to do is I want to take a look at that command a little bit more practically, a little more boots on the ground kind of thing. And and as you see from from the title, Living Out the Great Commission Every Day, I want you to have in mind that this is something that we should be doing all the time. The Great Commission is not something that I do when I'm in vacation Bible school and I have the opportunity to lead a young person to the Lord and sit down with them and and go through the plan of salvation. That's amazing when you get to do that. Or at camp. You know, these young people are going to camp this week. I'm excited for them, uh, and I anticipate the same in two weeks. I'm going to a camp, and I'm going to be a speaker at a teen camp in a couple of weeks. And 
we're praying that God will work in the lives of those those campers that are there, just as you are praying for the lives of these young people going to camp this, this coming week. We want to see them challenged spiritually. So the Great Commission is something that we can do in a pointed moment, but there are some things that we need to be doing on a regular daily basis in preparation for that moment that God gives us, that, that uh, divine appointment that he brings along in our lives. So that's what I want to look at today. So let's go ahead and read this passage. Um, it's just a few verses together. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we're, we're just going to jump right in this morning. Get my bookmark out of the way so I don't drop it. Starting in, we'll just start in verse 2. It says this. It says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word. To speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Does that verse sound familiar to anyone? We read a very similar verse in our scripture reading this morning in Ephesians. This is a prayer and a request that Paul makes multiple times in his writings. Continuing on verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards those who are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech Always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, as we take the next few minutes this morning and we focus on on your word, on your command, on how you have designed us to live. Lord, whether we're 6, 16, 66, or 106, Father, if we're here today, we're alive, you have a purpose and a plan for our lives. Lord, we're thankful for that. And as we look through this next, this passage in the next few minutes, I pray that it would challenge our hearts and our minds and our thinking as we seek to live for you on a daily basis. In your name I pray. Amen. So let's start big picture, and then we'll jump down to our passage. Big picture is is the book of Colossians, this letter written to the church in Colossae. Paul is writing primarily about the concept of Christ, his superiority, and his deity. And and I love how Paul writes books. I'm kind of jealous. Y'all are starting that Romans study in Sunday school. I I love the book of Romans, and... uh, a little long, a little bit of a long drive for me to come every Sunday morning for it. So, just enjoy it for me. Uh, but even even the Book of Romans has similar characteristics to all the other writings uh, that we see here. Paul in, in in Colossians breaks it into really two parts. The first half of the book is the the doctrinal. Uh, teaching the truths about Jesus Christ and about his, his deity and who he is. The second half of the book then transitions, really starting at the beginning of chapter 3, into what I love, the boots on the ground, practical, what do we do with this truth that we just learned? And so we're going to look at part of that today in light of who Jesus Christ is, what he has done for us, what are we supposed to do with that? And specifically, we're going to narrow it down to these verses in chapter 4 this morning. And we're going to focus on what it looks like to live the Great Commission on a daily basis. 
Because if we're, you're a believer here today, you're commanded, just like I am, to be a witness, to go and share the gospel message with the people around you. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a missionary to do that. We just happen to do it for a living, I guess you could say, <laughs> in, a, in a very simple way. But we are all called to be missionaries. We're all called to share the gospel message. So what does that look like on days, say, when we don't have that opportunity to specifically sit down with someone and walk through the plan of salvation with them? That's the ultimate goal. We want to see people understand and accept God's gift of salvation for them. So these verses are really neat because you can see that Paul is focusing on this concept of living out the Great Commission. Uh, A couple things just to point out as we look into this passage, a couple of phrases that kind of point towards the fact that we're doing this, we're talking about these concepts within the realms of preparation for interacting with those without. In fact, that phrase um, in verse 6, right at the end of verse 6, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Um, back in verse, um, sorry, yeah, back, back in, in verse, uh, yeah, I lost it. It's gone. You ever had those moments? I'm sure none of you do. I never do. Um, verse, well, verse 4 says that I may make it manifest as I have to speak in reference to, uh, to the gospel message, to the mystery of Christ. Um, we see that, that Paul is referring, this, this concept of the mystery of Christ, he's referring to the gospel message. Specifically, we see the mystery of Christ mentioned when it comes to the gospel message to the whole world, specifically the Gentiles. And so we see these concepts here, um, specifically at the end of verse 6, but we see these concepts in this passage referring to the gospel message being shared with someone, referring to someone who is doesn't seem to be part of those reading this, this letter. In fact, some versions of the Bible make comment or make make the statement at the end of verse six that you may ought, that you ought to answer those who are without the idea of somebody that's not connected directly with you. You know, if this letter is written to the church in Colossae to the believers in Colossae, who would be without? Who would be those other people, if you will? Well, naturally, it would be somebody not connected with that group of believers. So we're seeing this, that, that this is really a, a reference to the Great Commission. So what I want to look at today is this concept that as a part of our response to who Christ is and what he's done for us, God wants us to live out the Great Commission on a daily basis. And so what we're going to look at this morning are, are three elements in regards to that, in relationship to that concept of living out the Great Commission. The first one that we're going to look at starts off right at verse 2, the concept of prayer. Prayer is essential. We're going to look at that. Uh, first of all, we're going to see how we're supposed to be praying, and then we're going to, say, we're going to see what we're supposed to be praying. For the, the, the concept of how is pretty much straightforward. We're going to go right through these verses. The first one there is to pray 
earnestly or pray consistently, if you will. This idea of continue earnestly is really the idea to persevere, to be constantly diligent in something. We are supposed to be consistently and constantly in prayer. If you're familiar with 1 Thessalonians 5.17, I'm sure probably someone in here could quote that for me. Go ahead and say, see, I, I teach Bible studies, interactive Bible studies on campus. So if I don't hear somebody else's voice sometime this morning, I, I might lose it. I might, I might not be able to, to focus. So second, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, does somebody have that one off the top of their head? There it is. Pray without ceasing. And I, I always love teaching this to young people. I tell them, pray without ceasing. Does that mean I should be praying while I'm driving? Close my eyes, bow my head, and fold my hands. Lord, protect me while I'm praying. No. But it's a constant, constant mode of prayer. This is something that should come up in all day long. We don't have to close our eyes, bow our heads, and fold our hands in our laps while we're walking down the street. While God brings someone to our mind. While God does a blessing in our lives, and as we see later, we can thank him. We need to be in that constant, consistent mode of praying. So pray constantly. The second part there that we see is pray watchfully. And we're going to see what we're supposed to be watching for uh, eventually there. It says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it. This idea of, of vigilant is really to stay awake, to pay strict attention to, to be alert. So while we're consistently in a mind of prayer, we're supposed to be alert, looking, watching, awake. You know, you can do a little side note, because if you're like me, and you like to do your devotional time with God in the morning, sometimes prayer time can get a little challenging. Yeah, that one cup of coffee isn't quite going to cut it some days, if you know what I mean. Because the minute you start praying, even if you have a list in front of you, I, I, I try and have a list in front of me, or I try and have, you know, focus on what I'm praying for that day. I close my eyes, I bow my head, I want to focus on God. And the next thing that comes to my mind is, what's on my agenda for today? Oh, I need to go get the oil changed in the car. You know, everything. Oh, I need to go buy socks. You know, anything and everything that might be a possibility that needs to be done that day comes to my mind. And I am totally lost when it comes to my focus and prayer time. You know, so a side note for this could be a challenge. What are we doing to make sure that when we're talking with the Lord, we're focused on him and we're not distracted? You know, for some people, I know they love to take prayer walks. Um, I, I, I love to play disc golf. I've mentioned that to a couple of you, and, and I've played a lot of disc golf this week on my own. I just kind of took a tour up the side of Michigan and played a, few, played a few courses this week. If you don't know what disc golf is, that's okay. I won't hold it against you. Look it up. It's one of the best sports in the world. Um, but when I'm alone playing, I love to just talk to the Lord. And, you know, you've, you've, it's just like regular ball golf. You, throw, you make your throw. You have to walk to where it lands. You have to look for it sometimes. But there's time between those, those shots where I just walk and I talk with the Lord. And sometimes when I know nobody's around, I'll just do it out loud. You know, there's nothing like being out in the woods talking to the Lord. 
you know, there are different things that you can do, that I can do, to help us stay focused on our prayer. Now, back, back to our context here, this idea of watchfulness is really focusing on something. We're going to find out what that is in, in, just a few, in just a few minutes. So praying constantly, praying watchfully, praying thankfully. So much of our prayer is petition, asking God for something. Is that wrong? No, it's not. Is that all we should be doing when we're praying? No. Part of what we should be doing is taking time and thanking God for the blessings that he's given to us. Starting with salvation, starting with with the basics of what he has done for us spiritually. But it shouldn't stop there either. Because I don't know about you, God sometimes, I like to say God sometimes spoils me. Things that I, most things I don't deserve, all things I don't deserve. But there are those moments in life where you just know God's just saying, yes, here's a blessing for you. But he provides, he protects. Now, if you're familiar with anybody who's ever done deputation, there are a few miles put on vehicles. And by God's grace, all through our full-time deputation, we were never in an accident and we never broke down. That's probably something that uh, I've taken for granted, but looking back on it, it was purely God's grace because I've heard all kinds of stories from friends. (laughs) And uh, it makes me pray for those folks who are traveling around the country serving God because there's a lot of of danger on the road. Um, You know, what what can you be thankful for? You know, someone once said, There are three things that happens when we take time in our prayer life to thank God. One is we're reminded of what God has done for us or maybe even in spite of us. Another one is that it gives us confidence that he is at work in our lives, regardless of how we feel. And then the third one is that it causes us to be more bold in our living for him because we're confident that he is at work in our lives. So being thankful is an important part of our prayer, and it should always be there. It should always be a part of it. And those are are some of those moments during the day when we're busy that that back to that concept of pray without ceasing comes into play. God does something. You interact with someone who was an encouragement to you. Just thank the Lord. Thank him for what he just did. It's such such an encouragement to have that mind of thankfulness and then the fourth the fourth part of this prayer is that we need to be praying for each other verse three and then we like i said we already heard some of this in our in our scripture reading this morning from ephesians but verse three meanwhile you know we're supposed to be watching praying consistently being thankful meanwhile praying also for us so here it is And I love how Paul puts this one because he says, meanwhile, in other words, while you're doing something else, could you be please praying also for us? And that word also kind of has that insinuation that you should be praying for someone else as well as praying for Paul. And who do you think we should be praying for? that's 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 a loaded question, isn't it? Do I pray for myself? Well, as we go through this, you're going to find out that we need to be praying for something specifically for ourselves. 
But then, as Paul mentions here, we need to also be praying for others. In other words, this local body should be praying for one another. And whatever this we're looking at here today, we're going to get into what we should specifically be praying in regards to the Great Commission. We need to be praying for ourselves. We need to be praying for each other when it comes to living out the Great Commission. So the big question is, if we're supposed to be praying consistently, watchfully, thankfully, and then praying for ourselves and and each other, what are we supposed to be praying? Well, we jump into the last half of verse 3 and and move on to 4 and 5. So meanwhile, praying also for us, here it is, that God would open to us the door for the word. First of all, we need to be specifically praying that God would open doors to share the gospel message. When was the last time that you, and or I for that matter, specifically asked God, Lord, please give me an opportunity to witness today? Now, I love to look at this in, in passages like this when Paul wrote it, because when we think of the Apostle Paul, we kind of put him on a human pedestal as one of the greatest missionaries in the history of the world. Why would he need prayer to be a witness? Oh, that's right. He was a human being, wasn't he? He was a sinner. He probably had those moments where he was like, yeah, I could say something now or not. You know, he had those moments where he he was probably tired. He was worn out. And he just stopped by McDonald's to grab a cup of coffee. And he had this opportunity to share the truth with somebody. And he's like, you know, I'm on a break. I'll take a break. Okay, there probably wasn't McDonald's back then. They ate a whole lot healthier than that. But you get the point. Paul was a human being who was also a sinner saved by grace. Paul needed prayer just like you and I did. If he needs prayer, I know I need prayer. I don't know about you. But we need to be praying that God would open doors. That's what Paul was asking for here, that God would open to us a door for the word. So praying for open doors. The second thing there that we see is praying for open mouths. Look what it is. You continue on here. It says, And God would open a, a, a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, which is a common phrase that Paul uses referring that I am a debtor to God for what he's done to me. I really This is it. This is why I exist. I exist for God, for his mission. That I am, uh, verse 4, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So the Apostle Paul is saying, pray for the open doors. Pray for those opportunities. But when those opportunities come, we need to be praying that God would open our mouths. I I can tell you personally, and I'm not going to go into detail, but I can tell you personally several times in my life, where I missed one of those divine appointments that God brought along. And I look back on some of them, well, I look back on all of them with regret, but some of them specifically were the, you know, the old proverbial, somebody threw a slow pitch to you, and it should have just been hit out of the park. Yeah, I've missed those, those moments in, my, in life. I've also had the privilege of not missing those moments. Um, one of the funniest stories that I, that I can think of when it comes to this, is I, I don't know if any of you ever have auto, uh, automobile trouble. You ever had car, car problems? 
No? Man, I need to move to Michigan. Good night. No, I, I, I was getting ready for a trip for deputation, and, and at that point we had an old, old, uh, uh, I don't know, some kind of minivan, and uh, it was making some noise, and just I wasn't sure what the noise was. It was kind of weird. So I did what all good guys do, you know, I <laughs> took it to a mechanic. And I sat down in their, in, their, uh, in their little seating area and waited for them to kind of look it over and check it out. And I was there for probably an hour, sitting there, because I was an unscheduled walk-in. And in that time, another man came in and sat down, and, and I just kind of said, hey, how you doing today, and just started chatting with him. And through that 20-minute deal, his was scheduled, so he got out faster. But in the about probably 20-minute deal, I wasn't able to sit down and share the whole gospel message with this man. But I was able to specifically speak truth into him about the Lord. And, and I don't know where he ended up. I don't know why God, well, I know why God had me go to this place. Because I could talk to him and just, if nothing else, plant a seed in his mind and in his heart. But after he left, I sat for another 15, 20 minutes, and the mechanic came out and said, well, sir, there's absolutely nothing wrong with your van. <laughs> okay. And we got on the trip, and it was there and back, and it was fine. It worked. But I often look back at that and say, why did God need me to speak those words to that man? I hope and pray someday I get to heaven, and I turn around, and there's this dude standing there, and I'm like, who are you? Oh, you're the auto guy. Yeah, that's right. I would love to know where he is today. I don't know. And it may have been a challenge for me to be willing to open my mouth. But a seed was planted. You know, we need to be praying that God would open those doors and open our mouths when those happen. That also insinuates that we need to be prepared to speak. I noticed you have the exchange seminar uh, tracks out in there uh, on the back. Uh, I've been through that training. I absolutely love it. God is holy. God is just. God is loving. God is gracious. It is a very simplified way that you can share the gospel message. Or, as you many of you learned, if you went through that training, there are some more in-depth ways, like the Bible studies, that you can use to share the truth of God's word. I have a Bible study packet ready to go for the first college guy that shows interest in wanting to learn more about God, because I love that program. That's one program. That's one possibility of preparing your mind and your heart to share the gospel message. You know, my, my daughter loves to wear the wordless book bracelet around. I'm sure many of you are familiar with that. Simple way to do that, the Romans Road. But we need to be prepared, if we're praying for open doors to do this, we need to be prepared to do it. And we need to be asking God to give us the courage and the clarity to share his truth with those who are ready to hear it. Now, Going back to our characteristics of prayer, one of them was pray watchfully. You see where that fits in now? If we are praying for open doors, we need to be looking for those doors to be open. We need to be expecting God to bring that divine appointment along to us. And it may look like a friend at work, a friend at school. It may look like a guy walking down the sidewalk in your neighborhood it could look like anything. But are we ready? Are we watching 
as we're praying. Don't worry, the last two are not quite as long. But the first element there that we see while living out the Great Commission is simply prayer. Something we do between me and God, or we do corporately together as a body of Christ. The next two are a little more personal. But these are things that we need to be working on. We need to be asking God to work in our lives. The second element to living out the Great Commission we find in verse 5. And that is simply walk. Look at it, verse 5. Walk in wisdom to those who are outside. There's the reference I was looking for, those who are outside. There it is. Yeah, another reference to someone outside of this group of believers in Colossae. Redeeming the time. Walk. The idea here of walk is like it is in many other places in the Bible. It's the idea of to make one's way, to progress. The idea here is as we walk through life, as we do life. Kind of like um, Matthew 28. Where, when are we supposed to make disciples? As we are. As we are, y'all aren't used to interaction, are they? <laughs> it's all right, I'll, I'll be okay. No, we are supposed to be living life, and as we're walking through life, we're supposed to have some characteristics here to live out the Great Commission. The first one there says, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom, the idea of broad, full intelligence, use, uh, the use of knowledge, and very, and very, the use of knowledge of very diverse matters. In other words, knowing how to use the knowledge that we have. That's a really basic version of this idea of wisdom. Now, this wisdom that we're told to walk in, to live our lives in, obviously starts with God's word. We need to know how God has designed us to live and then do it. But it can also be wisdom on who we're dealing with. You know, for, for many of us, this next generation, this Gen Z generation is somewhat of a challenge. Um, you know, we come from, from this millennial group, which I consider my part, myself part of because I was born, well, depending on the dates, I was either born as, at the beginning of it or just before it's, I don't know. I don't know how they figure all those things out. But the general characteristics are different from the Gen Z that are growing up today that are starting to get into high school, get into, into college, starting to get through college. Gen Z is the most biblical and church illiterate generation in American history. Now, if that doesn't catch your attention, think about where our foundations are. This country was founded on the truth of God's word. Many of the colonies were founded for religious freedom so that they could worship God. And we have come in 200 and maybe some years, I don't know how many years, I can't keep count, to a point where we now have a generation where you can walk up and talk to a college student and they don't even know who God is. They don't even know what the Bible is. I have had Chinese students walk up to me on Syracuse's campus. They walk up to our table where we, we give away Bibles. We have Bibles there for free if they want one. And he picked one up and he flipped through the, the, the pages 
And he told us, I have never seen a Bible in my life. I've heard that they existed. I don't know anything about them. And then we said, well, you can have one. And he just looked at us, for real? This young man probably was, was, well, he was, I know he was. He was raised in China where God is not just ignored, but in many cases pushed away by the government. And he came to the United States of America to go to college, to get smarter, to prepare for whatever job that he he was going into. And while he was there, God brought him along and gave him a Bible. You know, you never know who you're going to deal with. And as the generation Gen Z gets older, you're going to interact with them more in stores. You're going to interact with them more at the library, in the parks. Do you know anything about this generation? A generation that is desperate for personal relationship. Before they even listen to you, they want to know that you really do care. And it's not just something flippant you're saying to them at one time. You know, walking in wisdom isn't necessarily just knowing God's word and living God's word out. But it's also, in, mind, in, in, in context of the great, living out the Great Commission, it is also knowing who is around us and better understanding where they're coming from. Um, my, my, one of my favorite passages in the book of Acts was when Paul was in Athens and he stood before those on Mars Hill and he basically said, guys, very loose paraphrase here, guys, I know that you're all very religious. You're very superstitious. You're, you, you, you have all these gods all over the city. In fact, you're so religious and concerned about this concept that you have a, a, a monument to the unknown God. And then Paul did something that I have taken and, and, and ran with with this generation. He said to them, he goes, that God I am here to introduce you to. And that principle of sharing the gospel and understanding who you're sharing the gospel with is so important. Paul recognized these people were religious. They had that mindset, but they didn't know God. And and so in context for today, you may very easily have that divine appointment where you talk to someone who's never been to church, never read a Bible. Well, I can guarantee you this. If you start with John 3.16, that's a great start, but it's going to go right over their heads. There are times today, in today's generation, where we have to start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Introduce these individuals to the fact that there is a God. To the fact that God is real. That's why I love the exchange Bible study. Because you can look at somebody and say, hey, I said, the God of the Bible, he's important. And I have this four-week or four-part Bible study that kind of introduces you to who he is. You know, that's a fantastic place to start. But not to scare anybody, but that same individual that you're trying to introduce God to may not have any clue of what the Bible is. 
So you may have to start with what the Bible is. Are you prepared for that? Are you ready to give an answer to those who ask about the hope that's in you? We need to be walking in wisdom, and part of that is work on our part, to prepare to be that witness to those around us. The second part there is redeeming the time. It's pretty straightforward. You know, the idea there is to buy up every minute that we have, to take every opportunity to be a witness, to look for those chances, as as we've been calling them, divine appointments that God brings into your lives, whether it's to simply hand a track to somebody, to talk to them about the Lord briefly, or to sit down and share the entire plan of salvation with them. We need to be looking and seizing those moments because the days are getting worse and worse. I don't know about you, but I don't think the U.S. is improving. Yeah, okay, I'm pretty sure we all agree with that. I don't think the world is improving for that matter. In fact, I know it's not because the Bible tells us it's not. But we're looking forward to when God takes us home to be with him for eternity. Until then, we have time. We need to be redeeming that time. We need to be using all the time that God gives us on this earth. So we need to be in prayer. We need to be living in wisdom and taking the time that God gives us to be sharing the gospel. But then the third element here of living out the Great Commission is found in verse 6. This is probably, in my opinion, often the hardest one to deal with. Verse 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. How we talk reflects who we are. And how we interact with people verbally tells them what's important to us. I mentioned I love disc golf. My son and I have been accused of being obsessed with the game. I'll talk with that all day. I love talking it. I'd rather go take you out and play, but I'll talk about it. I love basketball. I grew up basketball, playing basketball. I played a year of college basketball, and then I coached for 10 years, and, and uh, I absolutely love that game. I'll talk to you all day about that game. I'll talk to you about how good it is for Jim Beheim to have retired last year for Syracuse. I can say that here. I'm not in Syracuse. <laughs> but if, I, if you came up to me and said, hey, I want to talk about the Lord today, would I be as excited to talk to you about the Lord as I would be about disc golf or basketball? I sure hope I would be. I love talking about the Lord. I love talking about the Bible. But that is where our speech should begin. Look what it says about our speech, our talk. Let your speech always be with grace. This idea of kindness, pleasantness, courteous. Um, I have written down here how I liked to be talked to. You probably all know that that person, that someone in your life, whether it's here or somewhere else, that the way that they interact with you, the way that they talk to you, the way that they talk about different things draws you to want to be with them because they're just pleasant and attractive to be around. I'm pretty sure I'm not that guy all the time. But that's what we need to be working towards. 
We need to be working towards someone who people enjoy interacting with and are not dreading interacting with us. Now, I don't know about you, but the Bible talks all about us having to, I don't know, there's a phrase, love your neighbor. You know, there's all kinds of passages throughout the Bible that talks about loving one another, loving those around us, being kind. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us that as you're driving down US 10 and somebody cuts you off, I know I'm stepping on toes right now, I get it, but there's nothing in the Bible that tells me I have the right to scream and holler at them. There's nothing in the Bible that tells me that I can just talk to a brother in Christ and complain. You know, we, we share prayer requests, right? Our speech should be gracious. Like I said, this is the hardest one of the three, I think. Because it's something we do every day. Is our speech gracious? The th- second part there of our speech is something that we're very familiar with, seasoned with salt. And again, the salt, we know what it does. It preserves, it seasons, it makes something taste better. Um, Actually, my wife never puts salt on any of our food because she knows I don't like salt on my food. Uh, At least a lot of salt. Sometimes I'll put a little extra on. But the rest of the family loves to put their salt on their food, so she doesn't put salt in in the recipe. She just puts it on the table. But we know what salt does. It helps improve it helps preserve I and mean, we could go through that whole scientific study if you will on what salt does but the bottom line is this salt improves things y'all know what this means salt even improves the roads in the wintertime you know salt is helpful salt is good but i think what this passage is specifically referring to in this characteristic is that salt draws someone to be thirsty does our talk draw someone to want to know why we're different to know why we reacted to that tough situation in a good way why we can talk to the talk to people civilly and and why we're not constantly complaining when we're going through health issues does our speech draw people to god That's the ultimate goal, because if you look at the end of the verse, it says that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Our speech and our walk should draw people to a curiosity on why we live the way we do. We should be different. Does that mean sometimes we're going to look a little weird compared to those who are around? Yeah, I'm used to it. Are you? (laughs) I'm told frequently that I'm a little different. But in reality, our lives, the way we live, the way we interact with people, should draw them towards God. Should draw them to an interest in, at the very least, why we live how we live. So as you can see here, this passage kind of falls together at the very end. Because as we're praying, we're consistently praying, we're, we're focusing, we're, we're alert as we're praying, we're asking God to open doors 
for us to share the truth of God's word. We're asking the Lord to have us, our mouths open, to give us that boldness to speak the truth and to clearly proclaim God's gift to the people around us. While we're doing that, our, our, our conversation, our actions should all point to the goal that we have. And that's to glorify God and to share his message with those around us. So the question this morning is, is very simple. I want to leave you with this thought. What in my life, what in your life, do we need to change in order to be more effective in living out the Great Commission on a daily basis? Lord, you've given us the blessing, the undeserved gift of salvation, forgiveness of our sins, a future and a hope living with you for eternity. But until that day, Lord, you've given us a message and a job. As we're focused this morning in our song time is we have a mission. That mission is to share the truth of you and your love for the world with those who come around us. Lord, help us as we walk through this, this life that you've given to us. Help us to be bold. Help us to be willing to act and talk in a way that reflects you every day. And Lord, as we do that, help us to focus on you in our prayer life, looking for those opportunities to open our mouths and to share you with someone. Thank you for this time this morning. Uh, I pray that you would just work in each of our hearts and our lives as we go out this week in your name. Amen.